Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we can. We'll just go back into that at the beginning. <clears throat> okay. The weather stuff. Okay. All right. Uh, <clears throat> five. I'm at twenty minutes on the call. <clears throat> yep. Same. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. Hello and welcome to Thinking Religion. I'm Thomas Whitley. And I'm Sam Harrelson. So when I was doing the countdown to lead into it, I was thinking about because FSU plays Clemson this week, and so you know how oh, they yeah. do the C L E M S O N, and then how it goes or whatever. Right. Um, I was kind of thinking about that with my two one. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so yeah. yeah, I expect uh, FSU to lose this week. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, so I've I've been a Clemson fan all my life. Uh, grew up on a farm in South Carolina, so it's you know kind of in the blood. And we have these years where Clemson football does really, really well, and then we play NC State or Georgia Tech or NC State has a way of doing that, right? They've yeah. done it to us, and they've done it to you. Yeah, they have a way of ruining good seasons. Yeah, yeah. So we we beat them last week, um, and so that was big. It yeah. was it was a it was a a much closer game than it should have been, though. Right. right? I mean, right, really right. high scoring, but yeah, you got the W. But you know they're five and two. We're now five and three. But they, they're doing well, and they've they've they're coming together as a team. It's, it's kind of like the Mets with the Cubs. Like the Cubs beat the Mets seven times during the regular season, and the Mets never came close to beating the Cubs. And then the Mets got their crap together, and sure. by the uh, by the postseason, the Mets just kind of came in and cleaned us out, literally, you know, and, and swept us, um, which we never saw coming. But they they got better as a team throughout the year, as, as the Cubs did, but in a different way, right? So that you know, college football is a short season, but it, it right teams do gel. Um, right, yeah, that's so. you know, kind of hoping for the perfect storm, but I don't expect it. I expect Clemson to win there. Uh, so the line right now is uh, Clemson by ten and a half, which has moved down from twelve. So clearly, right. there's some FSU money going in, <laughs> but it's the um, it's the first time ever. Uh, what I read yesterday, the first time ever in Florida State's history, they've been a double-digit underdog. Really? Wow. Which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, I mean, Watson is good, but, you know, the the thing about being a lifelong Clemson fan is you see the the flaws in the team, you know, even though, you know, they're number three in the nation or whatever, but... Well, they're number one in the playoff ranking that just came out this week. Right, because of the strength of schedule, which is insane. But I remember as a kid, like in 19, gosh, 92 or 89, maybe it was 89, we were camping and we were listening to the Clemson-Florida State game on the radio. And it was one of the first times we'd played Florida State. And it was when Bobby Bowden was there and you mm-hmm. know Florida State was huge and they weren't in the ACC because the ACC was terrible at the time. And yeah, I think they were in the Metro Conference at that time. It was something, and they were, you know, they were running over everyone. It was at that time when it was FSU versus Miami, you know, and that was the right. the two big teams, and and Clemson won, and it was such a huge upset. Um, so anyway, I I look fondly back on that, but oh yeah, for, I, I totally blinked on that. I forgot that was tomorrow. That's a big game. It is a big game. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. They're, uh, we have a like an ESPN station here in Tallahassee, and um, <clears throat> our local guy was interviewing the local Clemson guy, radio guy, the other day. And the local Clemson radio guy apparently is predicting Clemson by thirty. <laughs> what? Which I don't no. know. I think I think people's minds have gotten skewed about this Clemson team because they gave Miami their worst loss in history, like the fifty-six to nothing. Yeah, uh, but well, this it, is Clemson's year, right? Clemson is. Absolutely on top, and Florida State is way down, right? They replaced their entire offensive line. You know, in the past three years, they've lost more people to the NFL than any other team ever in a three year span, right? They're way like this is the if you can't beat FSU this year, then you really have to go back to the drawing board and think like we need to change some things to be if we actually really want to be a national power. Yeah. I think Clemson is hurt too by the fact that they're in the same division as FSU. Right, because right. if not, basically every year would be Clemson and FSU in the um, ACC championship. Well, and that's what everyone says here, you know, especially here in Columbia. Is well, if Clemson was in the SEC, then they'd be down there with Arkansas because the SEC is so much better. Um, which is probably true. I don't really care. I but well, you see how that worked, like when Texas A and M came in with all the, they still had all their Big Twelve recruits, and they were beating SEC teams. So, right, right. but then they're like, oh yeah, they're a good SEC team. It's like. No, they're still like they're still really not an SEC team. Like their team is made up of not quote unquote SEC players. So and then Missouri has come in and um, Did you say Missouri, Missouri, yeah, 
Missouri. Is that better? <laughs> Missouri has come Where in. Where are you from? You're from North Carolina. What are you? It's Missouri. That's how you say it. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, they come in. They won the SEC championship, right? So, but, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, all the – obviously, everybody here hates the SEC, like, talk, you know. Um, so. that's an, yeah, and, uh, I mean, you know, you're you're in the academy. It's It's interesting to me how – sort of balkanized, not to use that term lightly, but balkanized the um, the world of college sports are based yeah. on your conference. You know, so, yeah, Florida State, Clemson, whatever, they're ACC teams, Duke, UNC. But, you know, Carolina or, yeah, like you said, Texas A&M or Tennessee, those are SEC right. teams. And those are, you know, the good old boys schools. And then you've got the, what, the, the Midwest teams. I don't even know the conferences. And then, you know. Oh, you've got, like, Big 12. You've got Big, 12, uh, right. Big 10, too, right? Uh, There's a Big 12 and a Big 10? No. I think they're not anymore? I don't know. Okay. I'm, I'm asking for <laughs> clarity. I, I'm a baseball NASCAR fan. Right. Um, but yeah, that, uh, that's, that's it's, it's interesting Interesting to me how, how big that is because, I mean, here in Columbia, it's, well, Clemson's a good team to be an ACC team. <laughs> I'm like, what does that mean? Right. Um, well, yeah. because ACC is understood as a basketball conference. Um, and they are very much that. <clears throat> But the thing that always bothered me growing up, like in North Carolina, was um, all these people that, and it's because the rivalries within North Carolina are so strong between uh, particularly Duke and Carolina, but also NC State. Or NC State's kind of like jumping in the background, like, hey, guys, you know, remember us? Like, we're here. Like, we don't like you, Carolina. And Carolina's like, that's cute. Um, my wife graduated from NC State, by the way. So, full yeah, disclosure. True. True. Um, but there like there's a lot of no i hate carolina or i hate duke and i was always kind of like they're in the same conference like if you can't win you should want somebody in your conference to win because it just helps your conference you get more money for your school and all that type of stuff but that's not really the mindset i felt like growing up in north carolina no no it's not and so i think the there's less of the acc identity um than there is like an sec identity well I, i wonder how that translates into uh if it does into into kind of student life, you know, like I mean, when I was I went to Wofford, right, and Wofford College is in the Southern Conference, um, and we have Furman and the Citadel, and you know, little small liberal arts schools like that. Yeah. Uh, but you know, that you kind of felt this affinity with Furman and Davidson and the Citadel and and you know schools that were in our conference, and I wonder if there's, I mean, you know, you're you're a Florida State. Is there that kind of feeling that, um. I don't know, you have some affinity with Miami or, or with Clemson or Duke or whatever? No, not at all. <laughs> right. I don't think so. I don't I don't uh I but don't, how many yeah. people are at Florida State? It's like forty thousand students. Yeah, it's like forty thousand right? students, yeah. Um but it was funny. So there's a there's a poster uh in the hallway that my office is on on campus that I saw this week. And um AC, the ACC does have this like ACC Rhodes Scholars where they have like teachers or you know, professors from ACC schools go and lecture at other ACC schools. And so somebody from Boston uh, College so is like coming. Road, like R-O-A-D. Yeah, R-O-A-D. Yeah. <laughs> so somebody is coming from Boston College to give a lecture, and there's like an asterisk, and at the bottom of the poster it says, just a few days after the Boston College FSU soccer match. <laughs> so just be like, they're like trying to play off the like sporting aspect of it and be like, you should come because like they teach there and so rivalry or whatever. I don't know. It was really funny to see. I was like, I don't think that's gonna work. But you know, that's funny. You know, well, I, I do see that. Florida State, yeah, right. Uh, Florida State is always ranked really high in the uh, top party schools in the nation. That is so true. We do typically win those like party schools and like you know the the really sexist like you know hottest you know women and stuff like that hottest female students yeah i, I didn't quote my source like you know being <laughs> yeah <laughs> a magazine right. of ill repute but <laughs> right yes um so I, I wonder i don't know that's interesting but tallahassee is is nice for you know a couple of weeks out of the year right it's it's a good place to be it's yeah nice usually so the way i've talked about it in the past is that we have two seasons we have summer and we have not summer <laughs> and not summer lasts about three weeks and um, it's November 6th, and we're still not to not summer yet. The high today is going to be 87. Oh, gosh. And and humid. And humid. Yeah, the past couple of days have been horribly humid. Uh, and we've been in the 80s. We had one little stint of maybe you know three days 
Oh, a couple weeks ago where it was like nice enough to open the windows and um, <laughs> it was like, okay, so you ha- and you have to capital, you have to jump on it. You have to do it right when you can, because it's not going to last. All right. So you're, you're a, uh, you know, a youngish man who likes to dress well, judging from your ratemyprofessors.com ratings. Uh, how do you survive in that kind of an environment where it's 80, to, you know, 90 degrees in, in November? Well, it's better this semester because um, I'm teaching just two buildings up from mine, uh, whereas like last semester I had to walk basically halfway across campus. <clears throat> um, and, and it was like kind of mostly downhill walking to teach, but then walking back was all uphill. And so it was horrible if students were walking with me because by the time I get in the office, I'm like pouring sweat because I'm, <laughs> I'm a profuse sweater as well. Uh, you, you are, and you have a, a beard, and that doesn't yeah, so, help with the sweat. Yeah. Um, so I do think about it a lot and it's really disappointing because, Hey, we're like a week into November and I still can't wear sweaters and I really like sweaters, <laughs> you know? So, uh, this is really disappointing. And that's the other thing is like the three week, not summer season that we have in Tallahassee. I try to wear every sweater that I own. So it's Tallahassee sort of like Columbia where it doesn't really cool down until March. And then you have maybe two weeks of, you know, kind of cold weather where the highs are in the thirties and sometimes you get snow. Um, and then it gets hot um, again. So one year since we've been here, I think it was in maybe early February, we had sleet. I mean, and the, sh- the city like shut down basically. Um, <laughs> we don't know but, what this is. <laughs> right, yeah. What is this well, stuff falling from the sky? It's hey, ice. I, I just saw on, uh, you know, how Facebook does those, hey, remember this day type thing. Last year, a year ago, it was snowing in Columbia. Um, so that's a pretty big change. Down. So thanks, global yeah. warming. Well, and we haven't seen the sunshine since I don't know when, to quote Johnny Cash. But, uh, you know, we're still flooding here in South Carolina. But Right, yeah, I saw that. Yeah, my hometown of Mullins, uh, down in the what we call the PD, uh, named after a, a tribe of Native Americans. Uh, it's completely flooded out, and it's it's blows my mind. So, I mean, our drought's gone, so that's good. But um, we're, we're expecting a couple of inches of rain again today, so I don't know you know, what God hath wrought, but, um, we're, we're building arcs here in the Carolinas. Speaking of building arcs. Do you like that? That was a good segue. That was so good. <laughs> the, you know, our segues would probably be better too. If, if every time we had a good one, we weren't like, Oh, that was a great segue. Shut up. <laughs> you have to celebrate the moments as they come. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, Ben Carson said famously uh, a couple of weeks ago, I believe that, um, well, you know, yes, but the arc was. Someone asked him about being a, a a politician and why he jumped straight from being quote a neurosurgeon into political life and why he's running for president instead of doing something like running for house or Congress or Senate or you know maybe board of education or city council like sane people do. And he said, well, you know, the the Titanic was built by professionals and the arc was built by amateurs. As of trying to back up his point, we all kind of laughed that away and said, ah, he's, he's using that old convention. That's that's cute. You know, way to go, Ben. Yeah. <clears throat> and then he, he launched into this week's um, pyramid this week scheme. <laughs> I, I, you know, Thomas, I, Donald Trump scares me, but he scares me because he is doing the same thing, right? He, he jumped straight from being Donald Trump into running for president and you can draw some parallels there. You know, there's lots of things you can say about being a, a TV reality starring or someone in the public consciousness and then going into presidency. There've been books written about this. There've been movies made, you know, where the business guy becomes the president. Um, and it, it's scary to sort of see it happen, but and I, I, I hate that I'm going to say this, but if Donald Trump were elected president, I don't think the world would like stop orbiting the sun you know <laughs> somehow we would persevere as a country and, and correct our mistake um i don't know if the same can be said about ben carson i mean that he, he legit legitimately uh causes me to pause when he makes statements like he did this week about the pyramids or um you know his his solutions on on real political matters and it's not cute anymore you know, like we, we've gone past that point where it's, oh, you know, crazy old, you know, smooth talking Ben Carson and into something that it, it it's threatening, if if you will. 
But yeah, so Ben Carson said that the pyramids yeah. were, were built by Joseph from the Genesis. biblical Joseph. Yeah. Yes, yeah, not not Joseph Smith, uh, but Joseph, uh, and that <laughs> coat of many colors, Joseph. <laughs> it's a great Dolly Parton song. Yeah. Do you know that song? Hey, no, boys. Yeah, there's the pop. You song. don't know that song? It's like early no. Glenn Campbell. It's good stuff. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, so yes, Joseph Ben Abraham uh, decided to build the pyramids because he went down to Egypt and stored up all that grain that fed the world for seven years. And if you're going to feed the world for seven years, you got to have a lot of storage space. And clearly, the pyramids were all built at once, and they were built by Joseph. Uh, and they so, stored grain. So here's my theory. Ben Carson's understanding of history comes only from the really horrible shows on the History Channel. I mean, not even then, though. I mean, because... Right, but, so he says, <laughs> uh, well, you know, scientists will say aliens built the pyramids. Like, what? No, I don't know a single scientist that says aliens built the pyramids. Like, you're out of your freaking mind. Right. You know? Um, and he's like, so, but... You know, I'm not saying it's aliens, but... But, um, and it's like, come on. Yeah. So, and then obviously kind of everybody is like up in arms, particularly like archaeologists are like, uh, and so Christina Kilgrove, um, who is, uh, I think she's at Chapel Hill, isn't she? Uh, anyway, I follow her on Twitter and she's great. Yeah, I think, she wrote a really good piece so. for Forbes that said, you know, archaeologists have been Carson. Ancient Egyptians wrote down why the pyramids were built. And there's a really good uh, quote in it that I that I think kind of brings out the larger issue here. So we know what the pyramids were built for because the ancient Egyptians tell us what they were built for. See, for example, the ancient Egyptian pyramid text. Denying ancient people the capability of building monumental structures is not new, though, and not confined to Egypt. Plenty of people over the years have denied that Native Americans could have built the massive earthwork mounds across the U.S. and that the Mayas could have built the pyramids without help, their pyramids, without help from aliens, Europeans, or a higher religious power. Yeah, and, and so that, that's always my problem with ancient right. alien you know, theories and that sort of thing is that, oh, well, these ancient people, you know, there's no way they could have built Stonehenge, so it had right. to be. Weren't they stupid? Like, right, right. They <laughs> were stupid people back then. Because, like, they weren't Christian or something, right? And so this is all kind of tied into it as well. Um, This kind of, well, let's look at those cute little primitive people, and there's no way they could have done something that we can't figure out. Um, And, like, it's not that hard. Like, you go to Saqqara, and you look out in the desert in Egypt, and you see... Where you go to Saqqara and you see the step pyramid. You're like, okay, I see, like, first, it's, like, kind of like steps, like smaller pieces put on top of it. And then you look out in the desert from Saqqara, and on a clear day, you can see other pyramids that look kind of like the ones in Giza, except you can see they're going up pretty good, and they're like, oh, crap, our measurement's off. And then it, like, you know, juts over to meet at the right point. You're like, okay, that's a mistake. And then you get to Giza, and you're like, okay, they got it right this time. So it's, like, trial and error. It's not really that hard to figure out, like... But yeah, and it just it shows no connection with the reality uh, to to say that or I mean, uh, and it I don't want to say it's it's tr- you're trying to connect with people that don't want to think, but like you said, we have hundreds of pyramids in Egypt over a very long span of time, starting with the step pyramids, starting with you know kind of the slab base thing and then you get finally to the you know the great pyramids as we call them in Giza but the pyramids don't end there and they weren't just constructed out of the blue and there are pyramids all over the world and it's right you know a common convention of ancient archaeology and ancient architecture and you know did did the the lost tribe come over to build the pyramids and the Mayan culture or you know probably I don't know, man. <laughs> yeah, well, <clears throat> yeah. So there is, on the one hand, this um, this uh, resting of agency from ancient people, right? That they could not have been smart enough, and oh, even though they say this is what it's worth, that's not really what it's for. So you have that on one hand, like we know better than you. But then on the other hand, you have a a, a way of reading the Bible that is. You can't even call it literal because it's not literal. Like, right, he's just, that's the thing. Like those, he's, those he's no reading pyramids. the Bible and he's saying like, <laughs> okay, like we have this Joseph story and, you know, oh, well, Egyptians were stupid. So it must have been like the good Israelite Joseph that was chosen by God built the pyramids for them. Um, 
and so it's like you're just he's just making shit up, right? Like <laughs> right. it's not he, like he can't even say like the well the Bible says this. Like that would be one thing if you're like, well, the Bible said Joseph built the pyramids, but the Bible doesn't even come close to saying anything like that, <laughs> right? But they made bricks, Thomas. They made bricks out of mud, so those clearly were the bricks that were used in constructing the pyramid. Well, the pyramids aren't made out of mud bricks. Like <laughs> right. you only have to go and look at them to see that, like, or just look it up on the internet. It's not that difficult. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's but they were built by slaves, and they were Hebrew slaves because they were the only big buildings in Egypt at the time. Right. Yeah. Which, uh, no, that's the other thing. So just, you know, late at night when I'm depressed and I want to feel, you know, feel some some semblance of, of our country being on the right path, I'll, I'll go read Facebook comments on political topics. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was reading some of the comments uh, on, on this story and, and people were saying, but, you know, I thought the Israelites were enslaved and why would, you know, enslaved Israelites build pyramids for one of their own? Like, wouldn't... And I, I just, you know, you pull your hair out. But it's in a movie, so it must be true that, that the Israelites were building these things. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It's very strange. Yeah, it's... um, <clears throat> Yeah, but, okay, and so then the other question from a political angle, right, is this, um, we want an outsider thing, which is obviously really big on the Republican side now. Um, and honestly, it kind of baffles me. Well, I mean, you say that as a Hillary supporter there, right? I have not endorsed anyone yet. So. <laughs> not I'm that my endorsement here. matters, but... Um, well, I know you're not a Carson. I mean, you're not a... Uh, I, I know you're not on, on, the le- on the right in terms of people that you've talked about, and I know you're not a Bernie fan for certain things. So I, I'm, okay. I'm so making I, a conjecture. Yeah. I'm right. triangulating your position. Right. I most likely in the primary will vote for Hillary um, for a couple reasons, um, for a number of reasons. But the main one being, uh, I don't think primaries are to feel good about yourself or who you vote for. I think primaries are to vote for somebody who can win. And Bernie Sanders doesn't stand a chance in the general election. So... <clears throat> And I typically align more with Democratic policies than Republican policies, uh, though I do not and have not uh, for a very long time voted straight party. Um, I vote for Democrats, Republicans, independents, et cetera, particularly yeah, in yeah, elections uh, where that's a little bit less clear cut. Sure. Um, but yeah, I didn't but, mean to paint you in a corner there. No, 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 that's fine. I mean, I'll, I will I will give my reason. I mean, if we're being honest, I'm left to Bernie Sanders. So, I mean, you know, it's. The, like our, you know, like my friends in Sweden talk about their conservative party and they're like, oh, they're kind of like your Democrats. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Well, and, you know, and that's that's kind of the charm for lots of Democrats is that Hillary and Hillary represents this return to kind of a, a pragmatic, uh, you know, middle of the ground Democrat. Right. That, that Bill she Clinton was done, whereas right. Bernie Sanders is like, well, we need a revolution. And it's like, I mean. I might agree with you, but it's not going to happen, right? So yeah, and, yeah. So do you want the French Revolution or the American? No, right. <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's go buy some guillotines. But it, I, I I don't know. I think um, I think that 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 drive to having an independent person is always strong very early uh, in in the process, and it's nothing new. I mean, we had Ross Perot in the nineties. Right. We, you know, Reagan. Eugene Eugene Debs in the 1900s. I mean, you know, there's nothing uh, new about that. But what's interesting to me is that instead of running as third party candidates, or instead of running as a you know Ralph Nader for the Green Party or something like that, you you you're seeing the the rise of, um, I guess the ability for people to pay their way into the big game. Right. Well, yeah. and they need the they need the structure of the established parties well, right and and at the next debate i mean we just found out last night at the next debate um mike huckabee and uh, chris christie are being bumped down to the jv table right so there's only going to be eight republicans at at the big table for the big show and lindsey graham is getting kicked out <laughs> of the debate altogether which 
you know, yeah, he's only pulling a, a small percent, but people like Lindsey Graham and Chris Christie are, are I'm not going to say they're good politicians, but they know what they're doing. You know, they understand how things work. They they know how to get things done for better or for worse. You know, right. A governor well, and, say, and a yeah. senator. Uh, a little bit about Lindsey Graham. I saw him on MSNBC yesterday while I was eating lunch. They were talking about the plane that went down over the Sinai this weekend. And um, that's why they had him on. But then they were also talking about this new book that came out about uh, uh, Bush 41 and where he was like railing on oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> like Rumsfeld and some of these people that were around his son, uh, Bush 43. And uh, Lindsey Graham was like, oh, no, I'll tell you, like, you know, you know, I called for Rumsfeld to resign and, you know, all this stuff like we didn't, you know, we were losing ground in, in Iraq and all this stuff. And he, and he said, you know, like it might not play well, but you can't rewrite history. And I was like, OK, I can respect that, Lindsey Graham. Like, yeah, you know, right. Yeah, and, exactly. and it's true. And, and people here in South Carolina, you know, we get a lot of slack for electing him over and over again. But he's not. I mean, it's it's kind of like John Kasich, you know, um, like he, he might say dumb things <laughs> during the debates, but when you get down to the heart of the matter, he's not far, far right, you know, like he's very pragmatic in, in how he approaches his politics. Um, and he, he stays out of things like saying that the pyramids were created by Joseph to store grain. Um, so it, it, I don't know. It, it's sad. Well, I guess what I'm trying to say is it's sad for me to see people that are sort of devoted to, you know, the public good, for better or for worse, depending right. on how you say that, getting pushed aside for people like Ben Carson and Carly Fiorina, who, uh, you know, they're good at making speeches and getting people riled up and raising money, but what if, what in their background has told me that they they would be a good president? Because what I'm hearing now is not necessarily convincing me right. of that. Well, and I mean, on a larger note, it's kind of like... Well, what makes <clears throat> why should we think that somebody that has no experience or training to do a job would be good at doing that job like we don't think that in any other part of our society right nobody thinks that i would make as good of a uh, neurosurgeon as ben carson i mean now we are learning that you know maybe you know we'll see how good of a i guess he was a fine neurosurgeon um, the way he talks now, it's a little bit, I would not want him as a neurosurgeon operating on me. Um, but you know, like I don't, I don't go into my friends who are lawyers offices and say, you know, I can do a better job than you, even though I didn't go to law school and I didn't pass the bar. Like this idea that, you know, somebody who has essentially no understanding of how the political system works and just got popular because they wrote some books that conservative Christians liked. And, you know, he was like, a, you know, the head of the like Johns Hopkins for a little while. They're like that qualifies him to you know, be the president of the United States or, you know, a guy that lost a ton of money in real estate deals, but still has a ton of money because he started with a ton of money <laughs> that like that qualifies him to be president of the United States. is kind of beyond me. Like right. that, it, he was in so, the lucky, lucky sperm club. Right. And so this um this like fervor that we have in the country right now of well we need an outsider because washington's broken and all this type stuff that's part of the problem like that's part of why washington is broken right when we elected all these tea people tea party people in and they said we're not going to negotiate at all we're not going to get anything done we're going to shut down the government like that's part of why we got there is because we had people who didn't know what the hell they were doing in the job and all they cared about was you know why well, i said this one thing and you know, even if it didn't make sense i've got to stand by that and, you know, everything else be damned, but I've got my principles. And it's but, like, well, that's fine. You can have your principles, but you can stay home and have your principles. Or you can be on a talk show and have your principles. Or you can write blog posts and have your principles. But you don't govern that way. <laughs> but that's always been part of the American myth, you know, is that we were a country of outsiders. And, you know, we, we were a ragtag bunch right. of revolutionaries. And we got together in Philadelphia and said, let's do this. And we did it. Um, that's not yeah, really it's, the it's case. It's kind of a great origins narrative, isn't it? It is. It is. But, you know, it, it goes back to the Hebrews. You know, it's the same thing. Like, well, Abraham was a wanderer, you know, and he was a passerby, and he really <laughs> didn't He didn't have an origin story. And he came out of, you know, Uruk, and then all of a sudden he's in Palestine. And, uh, you know, yeah. he's an outsider. And, right. and we're people who are outsiders. Yeah, there certainly weren't political marriages going on at that time, right? <laughs> 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 right? I mean, well... 
Depends on how you read it, I guess. But um, well, but who does he marry here? Right, he marries the daughter of the priest of Midian. Like, yeah, which is a pretty good job, right? Like, is that not a political? Like, I mean, certainly we can see this as a political marriage. Like, obviously, like maybe he was a wanderer, but he still had uh, plenty of money, plenty of people, plenty of animals, plenty of servants, slaves. Right. So, <laughs> right. Yeah, but you're right. Yeah, he was an outsider. It was, we'll an, you know. That. So we we do that. And then someone, yeah. I just happened to look at Twitter. Someone tweeted a picture of Ben Carson with a speech bubble and Stonehenge behind him. And he, he says, that's clearly a dog park built by Noah <laughs> after the flood. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so there's our album art for the week. Um, that's great. Yeah. I, so anyway, Outsiders always been a part of the American story, um, always will be. But yeah, I, I think... I mean, well, that, unless you're unless you're you know running a marketing agency, you don't you don't hear that often. You know, people coming into your office and saying, "Well, I could build this website better than you." Right. No, I'm sure you hear it all the time. All the time, <clears throat> and and that's part of. I mean, that's one of the great things about our current culture and civilization, and you know, American system is that we've enabled people to feel, um, and to and to think, and and in some cases to actually be, uh, you know sort of micro experts at, at lots of things, you know, we're, we're, we're not specified down into, you know, just right. putting the doors on a car on, on the assembly line anymore. I mean, you know, lots and lots of people are, but you know, if you want to go on the internet and read about ancient aliens or star Wars or Stonehenge or whatever, and make yourself kind of an expert about it, you can do that. You know, there, there are ways to educate yourself now that there hasn't been in the past. Um, so, you know, everyone feels like they can build a website for their company or everyone feels like they can, uh, you know, diagnose that lump on their back or whatever because they have Web, WebMD, WebMD or, yeah. or that they can tell me what the Bible really says. Yeah. I mean, all you have to do is Google it. Why do we need professors? Right. So, yeah, I mean, that's a good thing. But at the same time, like you're saying, it, it, it also disqualifies the notion that people can be real experts and and. There are people who devote their lives to studying the pyramids, and they actually know what the hell they're talking about because they've spent their lives dedicated to this. And, you know, whether it's climate science or whether it's the pyramids, they're not coming at this from some, you know, perceived political position. And they're not saying, oh, well, you know, actually, no, the climate is changing because they're Democrats are saying that because – they're climate scientists. <laughs> the data says, right. Well, I, I think that's a, that's a larger point, like, toward the humanities in general is, and I, I think it was Mike Altman that wrote a piece about this a couple of weeks ago, um, but that was saying part of the, you know, or kind of trying to diagnose part of the reason of the decline of the humanities is this idea that there is no specialized expertise in the humanities, Right, that that we we understand that there is in the sciences because there's like numbers and shit, but in the humanities, like you're just reading stuff and thinking about it. So like you can't be an expert, right? And so this this idea that there are no experts in the humanities, it's just this all this kind of really subjective. Here's how I'm going to read it, and you know there are a thousand different ways to read it, and nothing's right. And so as long as you are able to think that like there aren't, you know. Well, whatever, you know, people aren't really experts about the pyramids. Like, I'm Ben Carson. Like, I operated on babies, so I know about pyramids. Um, as long as you kind of have this idea that there are no experts in the humanities, then it's easy to defund them. It's easy to say that, oh, well, students don't really need to be taking those classes because it's not going to help them, like, get a job. And Right? So, clearly, they should go to law school because there are so many people coming out of law school are getting jobs now. Um but there's that idea, right, that there there is no expertise in the humanities. And, you know, those of us that have been spending, let's see, uh, after I graduated from college, from my undergrad, almost a decade in school, learning, you know, 10 languages are kind of like, uh, hey, over here, like, we know some things you don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally. I have a lot of thoughts, a lot of feels about that. But Thomas, all you have to do is watch the History Channel, and you can see that the Great Wall of China was a success because there are no Mexicans in China, <laughs> right? So that's all it takes. Oh, that's oh, that's so good. Can that be the Can that be the title of our next album that we cut together? There, there are no, no Mexicans, Mexicans in China. China. <laughs> That'll be our our live show from Beijing when yeah. when we play there. I like it. Um, if you go to hashtag Ben Carson Wikipedia on the Twitter, uh, there's. Lots and lots of good 
stuff like that. Ben Carson Wikipedia. So, <laughs> That's great. Yeah. But so this so this outsider story is interesting too because I think it also plays into um, the kind of the current American Christian narrative as well, right? Yeah, and that's the thing, right? So we are outsiders as Christians in the United States, and the government or government or um, you know society or our culture or you know, the liberals, whatever, however you want to position that, are out to get us, and they want to take away our, our freedom to worship or our religious liberty, or they want to make sure that our family values aren't included in legislation and yeah. outlaw Jesus guns. Right, right. We <laughs> cuz I mean, if we didn't have Jesus guns, we'd still have dinosaurs. So you have to have Jesus guns. Yep. Uh so it, it's it's that again that outsider narrative and that's very attractive. Um you know, from from a number of positions. And I mean, we we've all been 13 years old. <laughs> you know, it, it feels good to call yourself an outsider, right? Even if you're in the cool clique and you're middle class, white, upper middle class, whatever, like, you know, you're still going to wear your Nirvana t-shirt and grow your hair long and dye your fingernails black and talk about people not getting you and you're going to get into grunge music or whatever like I did. But you realize when you get older, like, wait a minute, I'm, I, I'm, I'm the man, you know, I'm part of the system here. <laughs> right. Um, and not saying everyone's like that, but it, whatever your circumstance is, it, it's often very i mean if you're listening to a podcast right now you're probably not an outsider right right um i don't know i i i have a lot of trouble with that outsider narrative but it is attractive because we as american christians we we do read those stories in the bible where jesus tends that way and he kind of Right. So it's like, hey, you should be an outsider. Be well, and it, yeah, and then it gets really popular in the in the centuries that follow too, right? With kind of the rise of uh, martyrdom, but particularly martyr stories. Like, so there was some martyrdom. We know this, but there were a lot more stories about martyrdom than there were actual martyrdoms. Um, and so, like, Candida Moss wrote, the, you know, her really great popular book on this, the myth of persecution, and kind of tying it into how early Christians essentially created this myth so that they could. While there was some persecution, they made it much larger than it really was, and everybody kind of saw themselves as this persecuted group, whether they were being persecuted or not. And, you know, it's a narrative that Christians have picked up on. And it's one that's continuing, particularly like within these social debates that are going on right now, right, with same-sex marriage and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I mean, I would say that's one of the driving ones. So Al Mohler has a, uh, our friend of the show, Al Mohler, has a article out um and and let me find the link it's in the courier journal uh which i'm guessing is a kentucky newspaper since he's up in kentucky it sounds right maybe louisville louisville louisville, louisville. i always say it wrong i, I used to louisville. trick my, i used to trick my students i would say how do you pronounce the the capital of kentucky do you say louisville or louisville <laughs> and they would say, well, Louisville. I'm like, wrong, it's Frankfurt, you idiot. Yeah. Um, uh, seventh graders love that. Yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> Despite the phone. But calls. they went home and used it, though, actually. Oh, it's great. Yeah, and the mom's calling. They're like, you called my son an idiot? I'm like, you thought Louisville was the capital of Kentucky. <laughs> so, yeah, your son's an idiot. So, your son's an idiot. Duh. Uh, so, speaking of people, uh, uh, Al Mohler, um, president of Southern Seminary, uh, has this article in, in kind of an op-ed piece, but he says, and I quote, we will not, uh, why don't Christians join the revolution? And he's referring to the, uh, quote, revolution in, in uh, you know, sexual politics. The sexual revolution. It's like, we kind of like, that's not really a thing that's ongoing anymore, but okay. <clears throat> right. We will not because we cannot, which is good rhetoric. We won't stop. Because we can't stop. Can't uh, stop, won't stop. Yep. <laughs> Unlike those who embrace liberal theology, we do not see Christianity as a system of beliefs that we can just change as we see fit. We do not see the Bible as a mere collection of ancient religious writings that can be disregarded or reinterpreted to mean something other than what it says. Instead, we understand that the Bible to be what it claims to be, nothing less than the inspired and inerrant Word of God. Uh I mean, that, and that's the mindset, is 
well, the Bible's literally true, and all you have to do is read it, and it says right there that women shouldn't be pastors, that men should not sleep with men, and that if a woman touches another man's junk, you should cut her hands off, right? That is pretty much what it says, yeah. And, and don't wear wool and nylon at the same time. Yeah, so the interesting thing about this is, um, okay, like, clearly he's, you know, poo-pooing on liberals, which is fine. Like, I expect nothing less from him. Um, but he's also like, you know, we do not see the Bible as a mere collection of ancient religious writings that can be disregarded or reinterpreted to mean something other than what it says, right? And so this is a really common rhetorical technique to say, um, well, actually, uh, I know what it really says, and you don't. Um, and like, I'm not interpreting it. And we kind of got into this last week, right? This kind of, um, hermeneutic with this question about fundamentalism, uh, you know, and the piece that we talked about there, the guy saying, well, fundamentalists are people who don't think they have a hermeneutic. And you do see that at play here with what Al Mohler is saying. The other thing that's interesting to me is that, is the second bit you read about, we understand the Bible to be what it claims to be nothing less than inspired and inerrant word of God. Uh, but that's a, that's a, that's a bit too much, right? Because the inspired language comes from 2 Timothy. And clearly what 2 Timothy is referencing there when he talks about the scriptures is the Hebrew Bible, not the New Testament. The New Testament didn't exist as a thing together yet at that point. So he could not have been talking about that. But I don't know, and, and I mean, it's not like I'm a Bible scholar or anything. I don't know of anywhere in the Bible that the Bible says the Bible is the inerrant word of God. Well, I mean, and you, you get the part in, what is it, Second Peter, that talks about Paul's letters being scripture. But it, it never says, you know, right. Paul's words are inerrant. And and that goes to show that, you know, Jesus Jesus and Moses didn't sit down one day and write the Bible. Um, you know, the, this thing was a process of, of coming together. But, I mean, all that aside, yeah, hermeneutically, um, you know, but it, it, it's sort of playing into that creation narrative that we're talking about here um, and that outsider narrative of, you know, being in the culture, but not, but not of the culture, you know, Romans 12, two, right? right. Like, do not be conformed to the world any longer, but be transformed by renewing of your mind and body and spirit. And, you know, it's a great quote and it's a great verse. And I, I love that verse, but read it in the context. And it's kind of a threatening, <laughs> you know, admonition by Paul there uh, to rise above, that sort of um, outsider status and using that as, a, as an excuse uh, to talk about being persecuted? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I mean, to me, I guess the thing that, that really, and maybe I'm just, you know, belaboring the point here, but the thing that really bugs me about this is that, like, Moeller's not following his own logic here, Right where he says that, you know, like, we read the Bible literally and we just say what the Bible says. But then you're you're saying the Bible says something the Bible doesn't actually say, right? Like, you can't point to a text where the Bible says the Bible is the inerrant, you know, completely infallible Word of God. And so it's like, you know, then you... Well, in Revelation it says if anyone adds to these words... Or takes away from them, right. right. Talking about that one, you know, that one apocalypse... Well, it's at the end of the big book, so it's yeah. got to be about the whole book. Right, because, you know, that's like God put it at the end of the book, I guess. Well, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's the epilogue, yeah. right? Yeah, right. I mean, that's what I've always been preached. <sighs> okay, yeah. I mean, I don't, it's just, yeah, it, it does all kind of play together, right? Then, and, and this is why, I mean, honestly, it makes sense to me that you have uh, oftentimes, you know, evangelical Christians are the ones that I hear a lot that are supporting outside political candidates, right? Because this outsider narrative seems to fit well, like you're saying. Right. I mean, and, and whether one they can relate to. Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it plays into that creation narrative. And if there's anything about humans that, you know, people who want to manipulate other humans have figured out is that if you play into someone's creation narrative, you can really do a lot of, of uh, persuading Right. So if I'm dealing right. with a client and I know a little bit about the history of their business or their their industry or whatever, I'm, you know, I'm doing my job when I play into that narrative and say, well, you know, I know this is how your company started and these were your original aims. And I know you want to get back to that and you want to feel that again. Right. So let's let's figure out ways to do that. And that always resonates with people. And it's it's psychology 101. 
Um, and we, you know, we see it on the right and the left. I'm, we're not, I'm not saying right. this is yeah, all, certainly. you know, Ben Carson or Donald Trump or, you know, Carly Fiorina. Um, you know, but when, you know, Bernie Sanders talks about, you know, the American revolution and starting a new revolution and that kind of stuff, he's doing the same thing here. Um, right. It's the reason why we love Star Wars, except for you. Uh, but, you know, it plays into a creation mythology. Well, that's part, and I've said it before, right? That's part of my issue with Bernie Sanders is not that I think he's wrong, that, like, we have an oligarchy now. Um, it's that I don't think our country has ever not had one, right? But there's this kind of pristine origins idea about the founding of our country being, like, wonderfully democratic or something. Um, and that it wasn't like, you know, segregated, segregated based on race and that like we didn't own people and that it, you know, it wasn't just the wealthy landowners that got to have the power. Oh yeah, it was, you know, like this idea that like, oh, now things are bad and they haven't always been bad is, you know, it, 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 it does exactly. It, it sets up this particular origins narrative that helps him kind of make the point he's trying to make. Well, and after I read Al Mohler's piece yesterday, I, I went out and did some, some quick Googling because I'm an expert, and I found... Um, well, you are now, right? After the Googling. <laughs> I'm an expert in antebellum sermons about being pro-slavery. Uh, so, yeah, I did some Googling on that and read you know, read a couple of sermons from the 1830s and 40s and 50s about uh, you know, the issue of slavery and kind of these pro-slavery uh, sermons that, that ministers were giving throughout the South and even in places like Philadelphia. And it sounded the exact same as what or is using the same logic as what Mueller's laying out here. And I'm not saying Mueller's pro-slavery, of course, but I'm saying that that logic of, well, here's what the Bible says, and we can't change because we won't change, and we won't change because we can't change, because um, this is what the Bible says, and we sh- we have to follow this book because this book doesn't change. Um, you know, there's a there's a natural order, and, and the Bible doesn't say you shouldn't have slaves. And, I mean, Paul says, you, you know, you should live how you are accustomed in the Old Testament, it's okay to have slaves, and there are laws about that. And and see, God clearly is is trying to save the Africans by having them being brought over and exposed to white culture. Because right, and then we can Christianize them. Exactly, exactly. And I mean, you you can't read you know Philemon without thinking about uh, you know slavery being justified, um, and you know that uh, along with. And the the notion of, well, women shouldn't be able to vote because that's in the Bible. And, well, blacks and whites shouldn't really be allowed to be in the same building together because that's in the Bible. Um, and transgender know. people need separate bathrooms. And, oh, God. I mean, that's another Ben Carson gym from this week. You know, and Al Mohler. I mean, yeah, it's, that's been such a huge. Um, meme so that, that I've seen this week. Uh, in in terms of, I, I guess I'm not going to say the evangelical side of my Facebook uh, post, but so many people talking about this as as if this is a brand new thing. But this has been going on for a couple of years now uh, right. in the courts, at least. Um, yeah, we we can get into that if you want. But um, I kind of liked yeah. how you said filetman because it kind of sounded like filet mignon. I you know always so I, I I look at it in the Greek and I'm uh, it it's not filetman. Um, it's Philemon, and but in the Greek, it's not really Philemon in that way. No, it's right? not. No. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's Philemon, Philemon. right? Philemon. <laughs> I know. It's <laughs> like it's like oh yeah, I could go for some Philemon. Philemon, mignon. all right, right now. Yeah, I, I don't know. So uh, using that same logic leads to bad things. I'll just say that. Not that, you know, if you have faith, you have to reinterpret that faith based on cultural lens. I mean, you you can stand firm in your convictions, and that's great, but allow for the possibility that sin is conditional. And if sin is not conditional, then how do you explain these sermons that we were giving in the 1850s about slavery, using the Bible? Right. Well, that's, I mean, I'm sure everybody's tired of hearing about that, uh, you know, and relating it to the same-sex marriage discussion or whatever, but <clears throat> it's kind of amazing to me the the cognitive dissonance that you see there, right? That like the Bible clearly supports slavery, not like just is okay with it because it's like you know an evil thing the fallen world does, like clearly supports slavery, and like you know we've gotten past that completely, 
And but then they still think, well, I'm just reading the Bible and what the Bible says, you know. And it's like, um, actually, you're not. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, oh. it's it's like Al Mohler's podcast today. Uh, the briefing that he does. Yeah. Yeah. It's the title is "Cultural Confusion Over Transgender Movement Now Focused on Transgender Bathroom Access." So I was a part of this panel last night on faith and sexuality, and um, oh well. The uh, Jewish representative on the panel brought up something that I had planned to bring up, but he brought it up, so I didn't have to, so it was great. Uh, But there's this uh, fairly prominent early Jewish interpretation that the first being that was created was actually an intersex being. Right. Um, And and, I I said this in Sunday school the other day, and you would have thought I had three eyes. (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) Which is kind of great, right? This This isn't like a modern, like, you know transgender interpretation you know that just came out five years ago this is like something's been around for hundreds of years right and it it was was gender gender that is a result of the fall if you will you know or if you want to christianize it but yeah in in some hebrew traditions it's i'm i'm cutting you off here but yeah that's that's something that you can definitely read into the into the text and say well you're not male or female until you know we get kicked out of the garden right so so I'm yeah, I mean, yeah, hopefully no, that's fine. But uh, you know, I imagine we'll see that um, coming around, uh, you know, in the conversation a little bit more. Maybe not, but you know, it says you know God created them, uh, you know, uh, and then it's like all you have then for a little bit is just Adam. And it's like wait, but I thought God created two people, and so that's kind of their you know interpretive way to understand that. But no, Adam was a man, right? Yeah, right. So <laughs> no, Adam was a human. Um, and yeah, it's not until Adam's kind of a you know whiny human that God says, "All right, all right, fine." You know, you want to go down that route? Hey, all right, here's here's the other side. I just, I just need your right arm, and Adam says, "Well, I don't want to give away the right arm. What 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 can you what can you give me for a rib?" So we get women. <laughs> give me for a rib. <sighs> right, and this is why uh, children men have one less rib than women. <laughs> You know, I I always thought that was true until I got to college. I had no idea that that was yeah just something that you know just wasn't true, right? <laughs> just made up completely. But if you go and ask nine out of ten Americans on the street today, do men have one fewer rib than women because God took a rib for man to make a woman? People would say yeah. I mean, nine out of ten people would say yes. Right. I mean, this is amazing too because it's not like you can't just count your own ribs. Right? No, you can't. I mean, I did it in Sunday school. And, and you know, you got, and it was always an older woman teaching, and she would count her ribs and say, now count yours, and you only have nine, and I have ten. And you would say, oh, my gosh, that's true. Cognitive dissonance is very, yep. very real. It's yep. amazing. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, um, wow, there's a big article in the New York Times about gender restrooms and that kind of thing, and... um you know, how the Whitney Museum is, is handling it. And it's going to be interesting to see if this really catches as, as a, a cultural. So the um, at our national meeting, the American Academy of Religion and the Society of Biblical Literature, uh, last year they had a number of restrooms like in the conference center and in the hotels that were designated as gender neutral restrooms. And so they like put signs over the normal signs that were you know already affixed to the doors. And it was something the conference said, like, we're doing this, and the hotels agreed to. Um, and so I imagine they'll do it again this year and a few weeks more in Atlanta as well. <clears throat> um, well, the big the big court cases right now are about school restrooms, of course, yeah. with, uh, you know, locker rooms and that kind of thing. Uh, the troublesome thing I've read over and over again uh, on this issue is, is, you know, old white men pontificating about how their locker room experiences would have been so different if there had been – you know, transgendered person in the room with them and how they wouldn't be able to, you know, slap each other on the butt with their towels and run around naked and compare penis sizes uh, like they got to do if there were, you know, people in the room who identified as male but were not anatomically male, Um, which is, you know, its own set of (laughs) paradigms uh, and and hermeneutics to explore. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Gay marriage is one thing because that's what people do behind their own bedroom doors, and that's you know 
I, I can live with that, whatever, sure. But I, I'm not going to the bathroom with a woman. I mean, good God. And, and my kid, you know, my kid's going to be traumatized because some, you know, some dress-up person is in their, their bathroom with them. Right, yeah. Well, there's also uh, very much a, like, they've really easily shifted the, uh, all gay people are pedophiles to transgender people are pedophiles, right? Like, I don't want some dude dressing up as a woman going into the bathroom with my daughter. Or like, what, what did Huckabee say, you know? Like, if, if I'd been allowed to choose if I wanted to be a girl that day, you know, I, right, I would yeah. have certainly said, oh, coach, I, I'm, I feel like a girl today, so I'm going to get a shower with the girls. <laughs> like, how creepy is that? Yeah, that's super creepy. Like, I, you know, like, it's one thing to think that as a, as a civilian, as, as a person, but to say that as a presidential candidate shows a, a lack of to say that out loud out. like <laughs> right like yeah okay this tells us like i guess you were you know uh you know what like a maybe a typically you know hormonal kid but apparently you still think that way like that that's like an appropriate yeah okay i don't know that's an ordained minister right um yeah it's gonna be a big deal um you know I just wonder who, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I like to read the conspiracy theories stuff. Um, I, I wonder who's behind this this big push to put this issue into the cultural mind. Right. Well, I think um, some, maybe more at the base, but some Republicans want to make religious liberty like a big thing right because they lost the gay marriage fights and now it's well you can't make us like you know provide services for gay people so it's a religious liberty thing and they're you know going to be pushing that note on the transgender issue as well i think um but i think the establishment realizes that like we really need to not have social arguments because we're going to lose those um instead we need to have you know economic arguments immigration arguments etc but the base wants to have these social arguments now the elections on tuesday um the kind of conventional wisdom was that oh well liberal agenda lost out because like uh pot wasn't legalized in one state and then the transgender bathroom thing you know wasn't legalized and it's like okay but yeah you look at where the transgender bathrooms weren't legalized and like the whole narrative was, we don't want men dressing up as women looking at our little girls in the bathroom. And yeah, and right? look at how those those things were uh, worded on the ballot. Right, and, and like the, so the marijuana ballot that. was also had language that allowed ten companies to make all the money and everybody else to get left out. So yeah, I could see a ton of people voting against that, even if you thought that rec- marijuana should be legal for recreational use. So it's you know it's a, it's a little bit more complicated than it seems. So I'm not so sure that kind of the I actually don't think that narrative is the right one coming out of this week's, uh, the few elections we had this Tuesday. No. Um, but I think in general, the the establishment realizes, like, we're just, we're not in a place we're going to win social arguments right now. And so that's not a thing to do, but it's something the base keeps wanting to do. And they're pushing some of the candidates through it. And some of the candidates, you know, all they're concerned about is, you know, making the base happy right now because it's primary season. Well, and, and we're used to that, you know, where they're, whether we're looking at Facebook and and we keep seeing things that resemble what we like on Facebook because Facebook works on an algorithmic basis, you know. So if you like articles about Star Wars and transgendered bathrooms, you're going to see a lot of articles about that, or in, in some way, kind of Star Wars bathrooms, <laughs> some way, you know, tangentially related according to what the computer says. Right. Um, and you're going to have this confirmation bias, right? So if you hear this over and over again on Rush Limbaugh or uh, you know, on the the three minutes of news you get or on Facebook, you're going to think, okay, well, I'm in the right and people, you know, agree with me. Um, so, uh, you know, th- there's there's that component of this because, you know, as we've talked about on the show, even though the presidential debates and the cultural debates are being won and lost right now, people aren't really paying attention uh, until next spring and next summer. But it's right now that people are hammering out what those issues that we're going to be talking about are going to be. Um, so yeah, gay marriage, probably not going to be that big of a deal unless you're, you're talking to a conservative group in South Carolina, you know, whatever. And, and you're Donald Trump on the, on the ticket. Um, but you know, things like the, you know, the transgender bathrooms or, you know, airline security, um, you know, whatever, those types of issues are being floated right now to see what sticks. Um, and I, I can see this being something that sticks uh, because it, it, 
it addresses our kids, you know, and, and right. there's, there's never been a razor blade in an apple. Like no one's ever. Yeah, we had needles in the in the Reese's cups or whatever this Halloween, evidently. Did you see that in Philadelphia? No, I didn't see that. There was like a tiny metal spike needle type thing, like inserted into a Twix bar or something. Um, so, you know, check check your candy, parents. Uh, just like when I was a kid, it was the razor blades and the apple because, right. you know, the witches wanted to, to cut the, <laughs> the kids. So if you got an apple, you know, make sure you check it for razor blades, which never made sense to me. But, uh, you know, there was that fear because it became kind of this cultural thing. Uh, so... I don't know. Just watch out for no, this. I think that's right because I, I think that that is like fear is easy to market. And what this brings together is it brings together fear about protecting your children and something that people know, most people know absolutely nothing about. Right? Because, I mean, it, the transgender population is even significantly smaller than the gay population in this country. And so, whereas a lot of people might know somebody personally or know of somebody, you know, fairly close that's gay. Most people don't know people that are transgender or if they do, they don't know it. Right. Right. And yeah, so exactly. I went out to a bar and there was this hot girl and, and I picked her up and I got her back to my apartment and she was a dude, you know, you, that's the that funky called Medina. Isn't that the, <laughs> that the tone look song? <laughs> that's true. I forgot about yeah. that. Um, that's the one. Yeah. Anyway, and no one knows what that song is about. Either. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I think you're right because it, it brings together thing one on the one hand, something people are completely ignorant about, and then you can be fearful about it, and so that's really easy to market. And so I think that you're right. This is an issue that will that will stick for a while. And you know, I, I think you know, if thinking about it uh, like from the perspective of the LGBTQ community, um, like there's been. The LGBT community has largely focused on the L and the G, right? And not on the B or the T for a long time. And this has been a big problem they've had kind of within the community is uh, particularly, you know, bisexual people um, oftentimes get looked at by, um, I mean, this is really stereotypical, but what I've heard from, you know, friends of mine that are bi is that they have a problem in, in that community because people think, oh, you just can't make up your mind or you're just scared to say that you're really gay, right? And so they kind of get ostracized there. And then, you know, the, um, like there's not been a lot of work done with the transgender community because it's, that's something that's different, right? It's, it is a different issue from the L, the G, and the B in that because it's not, um, you know, sexual preference or something like that, or, uh, but it, it, in fact, it's gender identity, which does not necessarily have to go hand in hand with the others. Right. Um, and so I think there are some in the, in that community too, that have been pushing it for a while and saying like, Hey, we need to be working for all of us together. Um, and so, you know, it might be that kind of, you get the perfect storm of them pushing for it and then others pushing for it for other reasons and that it actually becomes a large issue. Well, and, and unlike gay marriage, you know, again, it's not something that happens behind your bedroom door. It's something that you're out in public about, and it goes against the natural order of things, according to lots and lots of people. Right. Um, you know, God created male and female. God didn't create, you know, she male and, and he right. female. Because because the gender binary, even though, like, scientifically, we know does not exist, right. that's how people think. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah, uh, I explain, like, ancient gender constructions to my students uh, and, like, tell them, they probably understood gender better than we do. <laughs> you know, they're like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. Like, do you not know, like, you know, intersex and all, and they usually don't. So, yeah. Um, right. And, and when, when you try to draw your, uh, your gender distinctions from something like the Bible, you know, it gets a little murky because it's not the same. Um, and the worldview wasn't the same, which is a whole nother show in itself. Um, we need to talk about orality and like second orality and uh, yeah, that'd be good. God, that, that's such a fascinating topic, and you know, uh, polychronological uh, metaphysics and things happening at once versus things happening in a in a linear historical fashion. Right. Yeah, and maybe next that. week too, we'll try to bring our segment back on like songs and stuff too. Well, I've got a couple of questions, and, and we just you know didn't have time to get to them today, so we have that as well. Um, so yeah, we, we've got a lot to, to cover. But um, yeah, just watch out for those things as, as you go through the next couple of months. Uh, razor blades and apples, watch out for them. You know, right. Or, or uh, things are going to be floated between now and, and 
the holidays um, just to see what sticks and to see what gets people talking at Thanksgiving, to see what gets people talking right. at, at Hanukkah or at Christmas or um, you know, family gatherings or in December. So, um, yeah, between now and New Year's, it, it's really a fascinating time politically. Um, not to be all conspiratorial, but I mean, it's very true. And <laughs> uh, churches and people and, and organizations do float things to see what sticks. So be on the watch out for that. Um, send us your questions. You obviously have sent some. We'll uh, try to get to some of those next week. Uh, if there's things that you saw that interested you and you want to hear us talk about, uh, then send those in as well. Uh, as always, you can find me on Twitter at Thomas Whitley. You can find Sam at Sam Harrelson. And you can find more great podcasts at thinking.fm. <laughs>